welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and very small baby that needs a better place to live. Alex Dantino. <laughs> Just coming in with the hotness. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, it's gonna be... A tough one tonight, a uh, little heads up. All right, guys, uh, before we get started tonight, a little bit of business. Guys, it is official. Your friends here at the Film Alchemist are on Patreon. That's right, patreon.com slash Pod. For as little as a dollar a month, guys, you can get in, meet our awesome community we're building over there. We do See cool what stuff. we're working on. We do good stuff. And as you go up the official Highlander tier ranking system, you can specifically select the movies you want us to discuss in a Patreon exclusive library. We are trying so hard to come up with so many fun things to do over there to make that Patreon worth your time. We know that dollars are hard earned, so we're working hard to try to earn them as well. And we assure you, every single dollar is greatly appreciated. Uh, we thank those of you who already help us. We thank those of you who are about to as well. Make sure you go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist, so you can see our just beautiful, sweaty, glistening visages as our mouths make the words. Also, you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials you're on. We're very easy to get a hold of, and we love to hear from you. Also, something free and easy, quick you can do that helps the show out more than you'd think. Leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find the show, man. Help us punch these algorithmic uh, overlords right in the dome. All <laughs> right. Enough business. Guys, today we are stuffing our final stocking. This is, in fact, our final episode of the year. What a fucking fantastic and wonderful year it's been for us here at the Film Alchemist. Yes. And that is specifically because of you guys, All our listeners. And more specifically, because those of you who are kind enough to join us on our new Patreon that launches here again, that's Film Alchemist, uh, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod, dollar, dollar, dollar. Uh, that's neither here nor there, but thank you guys. Uh, as part of being a Patreon uh, member, our listeners got to uh, pick some stocking yeah. stuffers. We let the gods of the D12 decide. So this movie uh, was selected by our friend and listener, Jason Keene, a really good friend of ours, very uh, important member of our community. Thank you, Jason, for your time and support. Uh, Jason also mentioned specifically how much his mom, Sandy Keene, just loves the show. I'm sure she's an enormous fan. Sandy, we're glad that we can just come in Love your you, life Sandy. and bring Thank those. You. I mean, between us and Jason, your life just must be all rainbows and sunshine. So, Sandy... <laughs> A fond uh, how do you do to you as well. Welcome uh, to probably one Hello. of the most disturbing podcasts we'll have to record. How are you? Ever. <laughs> so uh, tonight, Jason's selection for stocking stuffer again, train spotting by one Danny Boyle. Um, This film is a fucking mixed bag, man, in the biggest way. It is high energy fun with characters that you really do form deep emotional attachments with i feel like yeah constantly doing wrong making horrendous choices and uh really suffering some dire fucking consequences and we are forced to go with our buddies down some of the darkest rabbit holes you'll ever see in a movie alex opening thoughts on train spotting i mean i'm so glad this one got picked to be honest with you um I know there's like parts of it that are kind of a downer, but I honestly like, I find this movie very uplifting in a lot of ways. I know that's weird to say, but um, there's just something about this movie that is very fascinating to me. I, I saw it, I saw it at a really young age and then um, I didn't really understand it. Cause again, it's just, it's very frenetically paced. It's like a lot of like early Danny Boyle movies were. No um, one captures that frantic energy quite like Danny Boyle, no. I feel like. And not like, only that, captures it well. Like, there's I people mean, who have done yeah. it. He does There it. is a throbbing, deep vein that runs at the core of his films. I meant a heart vein, goddammit. A deep, throbbing, hot vein yeah. that just, I mean, yeah, I, frenetic energy is his uh, his love language. I rediscovered this movie in college, though. We actually watched it for, um, 
I think we watched it for an international cinema class. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just fantastic. Like, it's just an incredible, it's incredible performances. It's incredible filmmaking. And it's just, I think, to Griffey's point, the incredible heart <clears throat> heart pumping at the center of the heart. movie heart. itself. Alex is doing a heart for those of you on YouTube. We swear to God we're talking about hearts. The that's heart the pumping at the center of the movie is really, really beautiful. And I think that's a really yeah. important thing in a movie that's about a lot of, like, not beautiful things that happen to people of their own yeah. making. I'm going to join Alex and just keep pumping it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> just visual gags. That's what we're about here. We're kind of the modern-day Gallagher brothers. We just haven't gotten to the litigations yet. There you go. Timely comedy. No, um, this is that. This is the thing, right? I think... I think one of the surface level things you might think about this film is that it's very flippant about drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And it starts in that exact way, right? We start with a do, 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 do. we're running down the street and it's, you know, choose a life, choose a job, choose a starter home, choose your friends, choose your future, right? All these kind of lines, right? He says, why would I want to do something like that? I choose something else, right? Who needs a reason when you got Harrison, right? That's a or heroin. That's a big paraphrasing of this wonderful high energy opening where yeah. we meet the characters. We get their little uh, junkie manifesto, right? I think that's his own terms, right? Renton's Not to, like, junkie manifesto, particularly. Right. And so what it is is he's essentially saying, why would I be like you, the audience member, right? Let's assume that most of the audience member, a lot of us have probably done drugs or this and that, right? Not like this. Not like we're about to watch in this movie. So this right. is essentially the movie just saying right at the very start, Here's this guy running right into your face through the TV, just saying everything you've done in your life is horseshit. Heroin's better. (laughs) Right. And that I'm more than you because I have the fortitude to do heroin. Right. And that's what it it feels flippant. Right. And then he's like, take the best orgasm you ever had times it by a thousand. And you're like, oh, my God, they're like really making the case that heroin is the best. And then right in the middle of that scene, a fucking baby rolls in like a tumbleweed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, fuck. Like, this is not going to be a, a fun, like, Cheech and Chong style weed romp. This is going to have the moment you see that baby, right? And even me and my friends that were, like, very into drugs lifestyle for a while, right? right. Like, I, I had a dark period in my life where this was, like, a very big thing that I did, right? Uh, and we also thought it was fun and this and that. And, like, you know, you start seeing some things and some bad stories and whatever. Um, there is this this element that this film, right, that just under the surface of all those fucking laughs and good times that they think they're having, there's always a really big fucking hammer. Yeah. I think hanging that that's, overhead. That is, I think, the most impressive thing about the movie and about the emotions that the movie attaches, because it is like a true like black, like <laughs> dark as night comedy. And oh, yeah. it's because like the infinite fucking abyss, the monolith from 2001 and 10, like black, no sunlight, yeah, can like escape no comedy. sunlight escapes or enters. Like it's just, <laughs> but yeah, it's because we all know the cloud of addiction of heroin of just the lifestyle. These guys lead in general hangs over mm-hmm. it. I think that's, what's interesting is like, that is just so built into the DNA that when you experience the bits that you experience, that are supposed to be funny, like the worst toilet in Scotland and those kinds of things that like, yeah, it's disgusting. But like the things that are supposed to be this sort of surreal yet entertaining, yet funny stuff, it makes it, it's, it it brings it because like in any other movie handled any other way, it becomes super depressing and sad. But I think it becomes Requiem for a dream. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it does. It goes the opposite direction, though, and it does become this sort of lighthearted thing where you're like, well, at least these guys are sort of living some form of a life that is not fully dedicated to heroin, but it totally is. Like, that's the craziest thing. Like, everything that happens is in service to this addiction, to this need uh, to get what they need. And one of the the elements of the film that I think are just devilishly clever, right? And a lot of movies that deal with addiction, this is kind of a a weapon they use, right? Is that everyone in the film is shown to have an addiction, right? The parents are constantly smoking and watching TV, right? Bregby's just fucking attacking everyone. There's a ton of drinking, right? Like, we're sober, right? I got out of rehab. Party at a bar where you're smoking cigs and drinking beers. right? And I think one of the points the movie's saying is how we all have these addictions, 
But heroin is one of those, it's so maligned, even among people that have addictions, right? There's such a, it's it's just such a different kind of a thing, right? And cinematically, I think it's, this movie captures it extremely well, right? Like, yeah. even me and my friends, when we were at, like, our most depraved party monster thing, like, if you saw heroin, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, these people are, like, the next level we'd never want to get right. to run, right? right? <laughs> like, it's not often that, like, you'd see it in the wild, but when you did, you're like, I have fucking gone a step too far. This Saturday's over. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing, and and this movie captures it in this enga- in, engageable way, right? And a thing that almost no one you know would ever have taken heroin, right? And we always think of it as just the guy on the couch. Not a wildly cinematic experience, right? right? Or a detox from heroin, right? How can we begin to relate to the pain and misery of that? This movie, through its techniques, really finds ways to put us in that headspace, in an uncomfortable, unsafe place. And I think that mixed with the, you know, everyone has an addiction, so it's hard to take any of them as judgy characters, mixed with these comedy beats that aren't used flippantly to not take heroin addiction seriously, but to make us want to hug and save these men. Yeah. Right. I think it's just this really clever blend of how do you tackle something as hard and devastating and personal as heroin addiction and make a I mean, cause it, this is the thing. Movies always at the core. The goal of every movie is you have to entertain an audience. Right. right. Not educate, not whatever. You have to make it worth their time to sit in that theater. If education is the entertainment, fine. You have to entertain your audience and. I mean, for this subject matter, I don't know that you can do much better. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, again, it's you said it best. It, it, you make you make us like all these guys, and not just like you make us deeply care for these guys. Like I, except for Sick Boy, not Sick Boy. But that's you gotta have. <laughs> like Sick Boy is a really fascinating case, though, because like he's in it like i don't know i mean again i i love this i movie. had this deep fear in my mind watching the movie that i've been the sick boy of so many groups that it made me very sad right the sean connery thing the like the way he presented himself he's just so there's a great line in the movie i love it. i don't know if you were laughing at this too but when uh ewan mcgregor gets clean at the very like early start when he's like shooting a dog with bb's or whatever to attack yeah. skinheads but weird scene but uh he goes to hang out with sick boy. He's like, one of the hardest parts about being sober is now I have to see my friends sober. Yeah. And there's so much like me. I can't stand to see their faces. And I was like, what a fucking brilliant, it's, insightful sentiment. Sometimes. Because I, I mean, and that's, what's so great is like, everything is relatable. Like everything about these guys <laughs> is relatable. Even though like I've, I can tell you I've never done hard drugs once in my life, but I feel you fly about as straight as an arrow can fly. Yeah, I do. You know, I have the occasional off, but I've never done anything that's like, I'm I'm not cool. So, you know, it's like one of those, <laughs> I'm so much closer to Tommy than any of the rest of these guys, at least the beginning of the movie, not the end. Um, we'll get to that. Just your VHS library and bench press right off camera? Just all day long. Um, again, it's it's a really fascinating... Tell you, wait, so here's the story. So that guy, Tommy, right? He was mm-hmm. in that show, Rome. Yeah, my buddy, who was the captain of my softball team, was playing this little par three course in Sherman Oaks, right by your apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And he winds up and he walks up to the tee box, and it's that dude from Rome. Nice. That's how we used to refer to him, not the guy from Train Spot, the guy yeah. from Rome, because we love that show, right? Well, he's like, he's one of the he's one of the hotties on, or he was on Grey's Anatomy, I believe. Yeah, see, that's not my wheelhouse, but that's, so my friend comes my up wife and he's that. fucking hitting a golf ball, right? And he sits there and he focuses. And he hits this golf ball. And he goes, Fook! He's like, a fucking slice! I've been hooking it my whole life! And he fucking threw a club and walked off into the trees. And my buddy's like, never saw him again. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. And I thought that was such a funny fucking story. So when I watched this movie tonight, I just pictured him going, Fook! I've been hooking my whole life! <laughs> I, it was funny, actually. I w- the one one of the men used to see that guy a lot i would always see him at chipotle when i would take you know i actually saw him a lot at uh there was an irish bar in toluca lake that he used to go he played um i think he played guitar and we would go on tuesday nights they'd have uh like irish irish or irish music night and he would always play with the band there (laughs) so like i remember seeing him actually my boss loved going there i remember seeing him a lot and you were just crying you're like fucking tommy man tommy tommy 
Tommy. Tommy. Fucking Tommy Two Tugger. I was actually wondering how bad, how hard, how many times you had to rewind to hear people's dialogue in this movie because I know you were having trouble understanding people's accents. These are all for okay. This is another thing. I'm thickest accents because I'll tell you, we actually have a very harrowing night of recording ahead of us because we did this and Clockwork Orange, and I was like, never have I felt so justified in the lifestyle choice I made years ago when I had my first kid. I never watch anything without closed captions yes. on now. Yes. And today is the prime. I don't think I would have understood a third of this film. No. Without the closed captions, especially Clockwork Orange. But this one even too, right? There's just a, a well, thickness in the way the words roll together. I don't think it's a it. Ewan Bremner who plays Spud has the thickest brogue. Yeah. And I'm not sure even with even with closed captioning, I'm like, there's no way he said that. Like, <laughs> I was watching it. I'm like, not a chance. That's not the words that came out of his mouth. <laughs> Obi wanted you to speak better English. Come on now. That's what I need right now for this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, getting back to the film, right? Sorry about my golf digressions and my late digressions. It was good. Um, what did you make of? So we we follow Renton, right? That's his yeah. main name. Renton. Renton what is a, our main guy. That was Ewan McGregor. Rent Renton is a tough one in this film, right? Because right off the bat, we see his preparation to quit, right? And he has all these fucking things. He boards the door up, rips the boards off. Mm-hmm. This leads us to a scene we'll probably have to discuss more. The uh, fucking worst shitter in the universe uh, thing. It was really hard for me in this film with Renton. Because he seems lovable. But, I mean, I don't know by the end. Of, I was like, is this guy just a fucking scallywag of the highest order? I think. I think he's a really fascinating main character to follow because, yes, like, I think the most important thing about Renton is that he is, he, he's kind of a scumbag. Like, never not a scumbag. Like, he's our main character because he's the one It's who, hard because he, all of these guys, right, have the addiction he's thing. He's our main so. character because he spends the entire movie trying to figure out really how to get clean even though he's really not. Like... That's the thing that I love about it, is how the false narrative of him constantly trying to determine how to get clean. Like we start off with this, like this is how you do it. This is how you wean yourself off. Yeah, like Which, it, it, you get the definite sense he's done this a lot. It's a lot. very meticulous. But it's yeah. like it's this false narrative for your main character, which is like this is the same thing when people who you know, and like I've. I've, li- I've had addicts in my life who have had the same thing. Like, oh no, I just need a little bit, or like, oh no, I, I just need to drink a beer. Like one of, you know rest you know god bless but one of our close close friends of our family he was he had a really bad alcohol problem and it was always one of those things where he was like no no i just need one beer and i'm like you that's not how this works like i know that's one of the only ones you you can all the way die going cold turkey on right it is it's just hard man it's it's always hard uh, yeah and again like every anyone who struggled with addiction like everybody i understand like it's just it's just one of those things but I, I I like that he sets this whole thing up in the very beginning, and you all automat- you automatically know he goes. You're like, there's no way this works out. Like anyone who's who has this sort of system to wean themselves off heroin has never actually done it, because like that whole sequence you know has happened what like five times prior. Like you. you oh, I mean, if there's, you board a, up there's the door, a cycle to these guys, right? Where it's. He opens the film telling us that everything in our world is horseshit. Yeah. And the only thing that matters is heroin. So to see him then take the, well, it's time to get straight, right? Yep. I got I to gotta get straight. To immediately rip open a door like he's the fucking Kool-Aid man, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. again, we go to the, he starts talking us through the, you know, come down. Again, this, he's been here many times. Yeah. He has to go you know release himself right uh, has, just a real wrist, massive a real di- spray massive right? diarrhea yeah so he goes and he's gonna spray up this just world's most vile toilet the like, worst so vile toilet in scotland feels, yeah and this feels like a theater of the mind scene right like hopefully oh, this bathroom sure. wasn't quite as bad because then he has to sorry i'm a little the climp and this is one of those uh, moments in the film Not where you're for like that reason though they're definitely showing us the the dark underbelly of these kind of habits he has to go in and get his suppositories which had not melted yet inside him right 
and this gets into that he as he dives in right he's he's in this underwater life aquatic shot grabbing these two glowing gemstones that are the suppositories and you're like the the things that are happening in his mind right so this is kind of the opposite of later as he's going through his highs and detoxes right right this is almost a defense mechanism this underwater scene right he is trying to create a world in which his choice is so palatable. Right. And this moment struck me as much weirder than the times before when I had seen it. Because I think that moment, right, when he does the underwater and the treasure, the underwater treasure is the drugs, right? I don't think that's just an addict having a relapse moment. I think that's letting you know that this guy will do anything to not live in our reality. And watching it that way, I start to wonder the entire rest of the film if anything he does ever has a bit of genuine motive to it. Does he actually ever feel what bad you, about anything he's what done? Do you mean? Does he Just, actually, what do you mean by motive? Like, right, because the movie, I've always thought of this movie as a, this is a, about a movie about a guy who wants to get better but is sick right. and can't. I think if you look at his actions in this film, I don't think he wants to be a part of us, man. And I think that very last bit of dialogue, he's specifically spitting in our face. The same way he does to the judge when he's like, I'm in rehab. With the help of God, I'll beat this affliction. Immediately knows what his plan is, right? He's already had his three doses going out again, right? And so I understand the characters going through it. Medically, this is an addiction problem. I get it. There does feel I don't ever feel there's a moment where he genuinely wants to start the long uphill fight to get better, though. I don't think that's I don't think it's that cut and dry, to be honest. Like, I mean, I probably think, not. Probably. I not. mean, I think that there's I think that, that ocean a, scene rang weird to me, though. Do you see anything in that? I mean, to me, it's. The disingenuousness of Renton throughout the movie is like pretty apparent. I don't know if I necessarily, I mean, you make this, the toilet scene, like once he's in the toilet, because <laughs> once he deep dives into the toilet, which is just, ugh. I mean, there is so much more poop humor in this. <laughs> yeah. Because honestly, Spud flipping the blanket full of shit on that yep. family. That was. I remember finding that funny. And today I just. Yeah, today like I, I was this like. Hideous, was gutter. Legitimately nauseous. I think once you have a child and you've had to clean up sheets. Like that, yeah. So much less funny. I think like, <laughs> like my kid, like my kid shit the tub last, uh, like two days ago. And I'm like, yeah, this sucks. Like I, I would never want to dig around for poop. I'm not even for the suppositories. Um, but I think Renton's back to my point though. I, I think Renton is in general a disingenuous character, and yeah, that makes him an unreliable narrator in a lot of ways. But I think the one thing that you can always trust is that while he's constantly saying like choose life, choose these things, choose like like choose this version of your life that everyone expects of you, I actually think that's a lot of wish fulfillment to be honest. I have always read that as someone who wants that because what it is, is you it's think a... he wants his parents because they're kind of the avatar for us, right? The, the fat chuckleheads just eating the dinner on a small table, watching a game show. I think what it is, is it's a life free of pain. Like think of it this way. If you're, an, if you're a heroin addict and look at you, look at all of these guys and yeah, they have, you know, they have their yucks and all that kind of stuff, but like you're a heroin addict your life is constantly in pursuit of the next fix. Yeah. While, and not only that, like it's expensive, it's dangerous for more than one reason, by the way. And I think the other mm -hmm. thing too, and this is in the context of when this movie came out in 1996, particularly AIDS is a huge deal in 96, you know? And like it's factors pretty heavily into the movie as well. But if you think about it, Renton spends the entire movie trying to figure out how to be addicted to literally anything else. Like he tries to be addicted to love when he meets Diane, like all these other things that he's Ooh, trying to do. Talk about a subplot. Oh yeah. Well, there's a whole I other remember problem. How I remembered there was something about that that wasn't right, 
when it was revealed that she was just a school age lass. Yeah. I did like one of these like, wait, what? Like, how did I not remember this twist? But I think Renton is in pursuit of addiction to something, something is, that feels less volatile. I think that's always my thing is like Renton's never wants to not be an addict. He wants to be addicted to something that doesn't put his life in peril regularly. That's okay, what now I, I that to me is what Chew's life is about for him. I, I think that is what he's saying all of us are doing, right? There's a part of the movie where he goes and becomes a realtor, right? Like after he yeah. his parents finally force him to do the like cold turkey get right. Oof. He moves to the big city of London, right? Mm-hmm. And he's uh he's doing that. It's weird, but again, watching it this time, I just read that as a I I I don't know that in that moment he's preparing to lead a different life. I, I think, think maybe he's... there's a I think it maybe this is what I'm saying, right? Instead of him being like nefarious, hmm? I think there is an abusive cycle with this, right? I think you feel bad when you're an addict and you see what you're doing to people. You're stealing money from your parents, right? You're lying to everyone. Especially like what you know, he leads Tommy down the fucking path now. Yeah. I think there is this enormous guilt that builds up, right? And I know a little bit of that, you know, from my own experience. I think maybe what I'm trying to say and didn't articulate very well is that I think when he's like the realtor in these moments of pause, I don't think he's trying to better himself. I think he wants to punish himself, remind himself how bad the life that most people lead is to give himself permission again to... Go back to the heroin, right? Sure. Like at the end of the film, when he's the one who's just like, well, someone had to test the heroin. You're like, it doesn't have to be you. You've been clean for months now. Right. You know, and it's like, and then he does that line that killed me because this is something I knew a lot of, or like, you know, back in my day doing this is when he's like, you know, he did it once because he had to test. And then he's like, well, I might as do. I, I promised myself one more before we got back to London. And you're just like, fucking hell, man. Like, and it, it's it's hard with him. I think I think maybe I, it's just this cyclical pattern of abuse. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I think that it's yeah. a matter of addiction to any lifestyle. Like, yeah, I, I and to me, it always is read as almost jealousy. Like, his addiction is heroin. Like, heroin is so great when you're there and you're at that peak. And then you come down and the next thing you have to do is figure out what your next fix is. The jealousy Renton's has and all his rants about choose life, choose your washing machine, choose a mortgage, those kinds of things. There's a jealousy in those. Settle down, Tyler Durden. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, it predates it, but I agree. It, there is a bit, yeah. though, like where it's this jealousy, though, of how nice would it be to have that as an affliction? Like my affliction is that I am boring as opposed to I am. Not just oh, boring man. to everyone around me, but I'm boring. Like as opposed to being like a burden, I'm at least just boring with my addiction. See, I don't, I don't read that a lot. Like the scene when he comes out, right, and he's he's cold turkey, and he goes to the bingo hall, and he's like, "Here's what comes next. The worst part of this is gearing up for the battle against boredom and depression." And I think that is a lot of what this movie taps into, right? Is I think one of the things that afflicts a lot of, you know, depression and this and that is they say it's this inability to project yourself into a better and brighter future, right? Right. Well, that's certainly parallel to this kind of, you know, addiction spiral, right? Sure. But I think more than anything, I think part of that is he's like, what is better than heroin for me? Right? And it's so funny because when we watch him do heroin, they just take it and fucking fall backwards on a floor. But that's like something in that. I know, but I'm saying I don't think he looks at those bingo hall biddies and is like, if only. Well, I don't think he like thinks. If, I don't if think I'm he ranking at, like highest addictions. Yeah, but bingo. I'm not saying that the bingo halls is end all be all. What I'm saying is it's like the same way you get up to fucking shooting heroin is what right. is you're going to be your next high. Like it's. I think it's because you look at everything else is so uninteresting. Sure. A lot of but, times. You're seeing, yeah, bingo, yeah, bingo hall is not going to be as cool as FYI, shooting heroin to a heroin addict. Bingo halls can be fucking wild. I've had some wild experiences. I have seen bingo. some crazy shit. We, I worked on it. I worked on a show one time where we went to a bingo hall and it was intense. If you get to go to like a VFW 
cheap beer, old person bingo night, mm-hmm. go to that. Yeah, it's. I'm telling you as a friend, it unless is actually you have a really drinking cool. problem, don't. No, I've been there. go to that. It's fun. Because people go in there, and it's rowdy from the start. They look at you, and they're like, you're my brother in beer, but my enemy in paper. Correct. And it's such a fun atmosphere but, to start a night of drinking. But I think that Renton spends, Renton spends so much time trying to <laughs> find a way back to heroin. I think that is like a big part of it. And like you said it earlier, he spends so much time trying to justify going back to heroin that he – that is like the problem with the character is he's not trying to experience life or change the way his change the way his situation is panned out. What it is, is just, it ultimately ends up being, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I liked Andrea's little spin move. Like no one will see me. But no, I mean, this is the thing too, right? Is I think I am not, wise enough in the language of modern addiction treatment same so i really don't want to be the guy that's just out here saying the wrong things and throwing bombs there is a part of the film though by making fenton our or renton right renton our narrator right he's the man who constantly has to speak a version of the truth to us and by the very nature of the film, we know that almost everything he says is nonsense, right? right? Well, it's a version of his truth. Like, I think that's the thing about that's the thing about all these guys. Like, Sick Boy always has a theory for something, a theory of how the world works, until something truly horrible happens, and something truly terrible and unexplainable happens, and the, the- and the theories are out the door. There are no theories for that. When they find that baby in the crib, the theories are gone. That's it. Now, this is just one of... I forgot about this, by the way, and it fucking broke me in half. Now, see, that is shocking to me, because I was trying to kind of jot down a list of, like, things I've seen in a movie that, like, stuck, stuck with me and, like, scarred me deeply. Completely forgot. This is one of the moments in a film... Trigger warning, whatever. People still do trigger warnings. This is a thing. Uh, I'm imagining everyone who's listening to this probably has watched it by now. I think the shot um, alone. This is, now, this is what I'm getting to, right? The, the idea of the mother screaming, we've seen the baby a couple times. Mm-hmm. I'd have to put myself back in the, the first time I saw it, right? Because I've seen this multiple times now. So you know it's coming, and you fucking already are getting ready for just that sick fucking feeling. Yeah. I will say this is the first time I've watched this since I've been a dad, I think. Uh, same. Same. I I was l- wondering your opinion. I, to this day, am shocked every time I watch this movie how much they show and for how long. Yeah. Of I, that, that baby. Is the part that I movie. forgot. I forgot how long they spend on those shots, particularly. I didn't need that, personally. I don't now think this, it's okay. So I don't think anyone needs it. No, Do no, you but think it's what I'm hang on. What I'm getting to is it's an unnecessary focal point. Like mother's screaming enough. Plenty like that. A mother's screaming about a dead child is plenty it conveys the point. I get it. I, I think actually that is the only part of this movie that I'm just like, why are we focusing so heavily on that? Like that to me makes no, that to me, like it's the only time in this movie that I'm like, this part feels almost gratuitous. Yeah. And especially watching as many horror movies as I do, this is a discussion we have a lot, right? Like what is gratuitous and what is actually helping the narrative storytelling? Right. In a weird way, I think I've circled back to that. This is actually like an important and proper decision in the film. Right. I think there is a, it is such a fucking vile intrusion of hard reality into this film. And it, again, it's it's one of those things that's just like, I was like, I don't know that I can think of like, are there like five scenes to me that are much more horrible than this in all of movies? I don't know. I could probably make a list. But this is like in the upper tier of like worst things I've ever seen in a movie. But I think what it does is, again, in, in a movie that has that kind of, like, some 41 energy at times, right, to really date myself. 
Um, <laughs> this is an absolute fucking cement shoe that's like, this is going to stay grounded no matter how much you love these guys. And it leads to what I think is the best moment in the film, right? Which is when uh, Renton in his mind is like, say something, say something human, right? Yeah. Say something empathetic or however he phrases it. And all he comes up with is, I'm going to cook. I'm going to cook. And it it is fucking just horrifying and brutal and gut-wrenching. And the deepest kind of parts of your belly that a lot of moments can just never get to. And I think us sitting there staring at that, we also in our heads are saying, say something. Someone fucking say something. Make this go away. Make this make sense. Yeah. And then watching the mom crawl on hands and knees saying, I need a shot. I mean, it's, but I, I think in this thing, I don't think this is unnecessarily gratuitous, right? I think there is a moment of, I'll tell you this. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that someone's like, yeah, I never fucking tried drugs because of this film. Right? No. Like that wouldn't surprise I mean, me. That wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, I mean that that is it is fucking horrifying. But I don't know the, the. I thought I'd go the other way on this moment. This is one of those things when we were getting ready for the pod. You're like, well, we're gonna have to talk about that moment. I I think it's actually handled very well in the film. Honestly, well, you and I can sit in opposition on that. <laughs> well, there's I, just something about a scene. I'm not saying it's not a shit. That isn't I'm not saying it's like a bad that. moment in a movie. I'm saying right. that it's a gratuitous moment in a movie and kind of unnecessary visually for me. Like in this, yeah. I mean, and that's because later on when Renton's having his cold Turkey hallucinations, I get a whole other vibe from the baby, which is like truly much more truly like, for it being a hallucination and bizarre beyond bizarre, it is truly far more weird and somehow less horrifying than what we saw originally. And yeah, I mean, still, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, I felt that moment like at a cellular level. I feel like, and I felt like that's important in this movie to remind us the fucking human toll as often as they can. I know I mean, that's I not face, necessarily like the vibe for most of the I movie. think face to face with it is fine. I just think that they held the shot like five seconds too long. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think sometimes there's something about just putting you in a fucking fire. Sure. I mean, just, I, again, it's oh, a choice. like anything. Know. It's a choice like anything else. Yeah. I'm just not sure I necessarily need like. Here's yeah. my thing. I don't think this is like Human Centipede 2 where, like, a baby no, gets stomped I'm... under, like, a fucking gas pedal. No, know? but, like, like what it is is you're looking at it for, like, I didn't th – I forgot that they rolled through on the shot. I think that's the thing that I always forgot about it because I always remembered the legs. The leg. I do not yes. remember the face. I think it's a defense mechanism, dude. Your mind purges yeah. that shit. Like, it was like, truly by... terrible. And not only that, they cut back to it. Yeah. Multiple times. At least once. Maybe not mo at least once, right? Just once. Well, then they show Renton, they show Sick Boy, and they cut back to the kid. And I was like, that's when I was oh, they specifically want us to sit and struggle exactly like these guys confront and I don't think there's anything more human than all of us confronting the no kid should ever suffer or perish, right? I think that's a universally accepted thing unless you're like a principal maybe or like an old 70s nun <laughs> we're just like fuck them kids right michael jordan nuns and principals but for the most part i think we all agree krampus he probably doesn't like kids but most most of us agree real humans that no child should ever have to suffer man and yeah there is something about that too like i don't even like being drunk around my kids like having beers period around Same. my kids same it, it bothers me right like actually it's one of the reasons i mostly have given up smoking is because my kids would like come to the window and stare at me and be like what are you doing and i like i don't want that right so the thought of you know them just casually fucking doing heroin around to me i don't know this this moment is just fucking i mean it reminded me of those movies we used to have to watch in health class Yep. Do you remember, like, what was it called? Like, Blood on the Asphalt or whatever? That one. They There's, just like, show the ones us you have to watch. There's the ones you have to watch when you're doing um, uh, traffic school. 
Or not traffic oh, school. When you when you're getting your driver's license. Did you ever have? They used to. You you know those like Hell House things where they have like actors try to scare yeah. the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And Texas made the one where it's like abortions and like all right wing yeah. shit. We had one of those at my high school where they pulled up cars, and had actors come and play just maimed and massacred students and had right. like other people weeping and screaming they had a mom like walk up she looked like fucking uh, i love lucy and she's like my baby it was her birthday on tuesday and now she's red payment and we're like yeah what the fuck in, kind of psychological torture is that in college uh when i was a, when i was an ra at san diego state and they made us i don't know if you remember them doing this at ball state i remember them doing it though my freshman year uh this thing called the tunnel of oppression I don't know if you remember <laughs> it was a no. whole it's a whole thing we had to do. Um The Tunnel of Oppression? Yeah. So basically you not set depression, up, oppression. No, oppression. So basically okay. you set up um these stations where you put on these little like horrifying plays about like addiction, ageism, like all the isms, racism, uh body dysmorphia, like all these horrible like little one scenes you have to do. And, and then you not were only, in charge of this? Not only that, you have to walk through a literal tunnel where they've like shrouded um this tunnel and like this just this like black paper tape and then they've written like every obscenity and every racial epithet you can think of. And it ends with this um thing where they make you like they like shove you up against a wall. Like it's it's not okay. Like they're like scared straight the TV show. <laughs> But like scared straight, like in the you want to get fucked in prison, ten year old. But it's like, but it is the same sort of like this like really horrible like exposure theater that you have to deal with, and it is just like, and I mean like I had to do it because all the RAs have to participate, so like I had to actually like perform in one of these, which was horrible. Um, But like. It is what just was this, your role? What were you? Were you like the body so, dysmorphic, the racist? So what we it? got so we got separated into groups, and uh, <laughs> my group did. Uh, yeah, like it was uh, my group was the body dysmorphia group. So we did a story about <laughs> this girl. We did a story about a girl who like had an eating disorder. Like it was. Oh, uh, I thought you were like laying there, like my body, no my repulsive body. No, I mean, they have those, but like we got given, we were given like one of the, that would have been my play. We got given one of the quote unquote easy ones. Like we didn't have to do like racism or something like that. Dude, what if you wrote a story where like your belly had become like something separate from you, but was attached to you like the brood? I wanted you were like, imagine young Alex. I'm I'm assuming you were jacked when you got to college like me. Yeah, of course. Assume you're just laying on a table, like, like one of those gyno tables. Yeah. And the people come in, and a little like stage light pops on. You're just like, you fucking sack of shit, you fucking. I wanted betrayer. to do something really <laughs> abstract, and was told I was not allowed to do that. So we ended up just doing like some like, like some, some guys just like story. give them the straight shit. No, actually, the funny thing about Ball State storms is that it was an entire building of oppression <laughs> where every fucking Boy every Lord Force. of the Flies type thing happened. No, we did not have. The floors were separated, but you just had to go up two flights. Of yeah, stairs you just went up two flights of stairs and saw the girls. Yeah, so. but it, it was it. There was plenty to fucking be oppressed and scared. Anyways, by. back to film. God, we back got a lot of asides. I think I think like the guys in the the fucking crib scene were desperately trying to find chuckles and solace from these these. I just got a lot of, Let's talk about got a lot of renting. Got a lot of renting. Let's talk about something rents. great in this movie. Bregby. Oh, dude. MVP Begby? of the movie by far. Yeah, Robert Carlyle is uh, so absolutely incredible. Like, Little I fucking love... Scottish Joe Pesci just killing it. He's so good, dude. Like He's great in this movie. And he is this like awesome proliferation of like, I think what's great is like Renton understands this. Spud doesn't care because Spud's Spud. And I think Sick Boy knows too. Spud is the most lovable, but Bregby is the MVP of the movie. But, like, Spud knows. Spud doesn't give a shit. But, like, Sick Boy knows, and I think... Because you find out by the end, too, that Sick Boy is trying to get there. Anyways, and if you've seen the sequel, he ends up that person regardless. But I think even though he's not a heroin addict, Renton understands that Begbie is, like... Begbie's where they're all heading. Unless they die. Like, Begbie is this version of, like, Sick Boy particularly. 
that is um is like the most unrelenting version of him yeah he kind of had this like clive barkery thing to me today right just this like <laughs> fucking like pleasures of the flesh right like but he's he's such a yeah unyielding piece of shit's great like when he yells at spud's mom oh my god about how she's a shitty parent because her son's a smackhead yep. directly in front of renton's parents whose son is also a fucking smackhead and i was like this fucking guy is just brutal in yeah. his but i again he's another one of those it's his is obviously this napoleonic thing right mm-hmm you know, and there's just something so he's the one guy in the movie that I feel like everyone knows that guy mm-hmm. just not played by such a captivating person as fucking Robert Carlyle. But it is I mean, he is so fucking yeah. entertaining in this movie. I mean, he's just incredible. I mean, again, like Robert Carlyle just turns in this performance that's just unrelenting, like sadism i think that's i love that line that renton says when he starts describing begbie is like we wanted to just do smack begbie just wanted to do people and he literally is like like he throws a glass just to start a fight like he hits a lady in the face a lady in the fucking face and then just goes down and is like just fucking throwing kicks to the nuts and is ready to fight he's just a fucking maniac (laughs) he's awesome dude i've been in a bar fight like that it's horrible one more aside. So I was a bouncer at a bar, right? And I got called over to work with my brother. It was uh, the club, right? Dill Street. This was the club we had, right? They play oh, yeah, I remember. cool music. So this was like the bump and grind and like dry hump people all night bar. And it was one of those nights. So it's like, fuck. It was Penny Pitchers night, right? So since you paid $5 to get in, you got free pitchers of beer all night. Warm, flat beer. So everyone's blackout drunk. Right. So me and my brother are on the stairs, right? We're like looking out for troublemakers. And I look up, and there's this girl, and she's just in this guy's face. You motherfucker. You motherfucker. You think I would have found you, you fucking bitch? And she's yelling at him, right? Just this little, uh, this little tiny blonde-haired lady, right? And she's fucking right. in this guy's face. You fucking piece of shit. Fucking cheating on me. About... Like, whatever the, the argument was. We could just see the, like, big gesticulations, right? Right, right. And I looked at him, and I and my brother's like, I can't remember how, who said it first, but essentially I was like, yeah, this one's going to be trouble. Let's head that way. And as we're heading, I saw he's holding a beer, right? He's got it by the neck like you normally would a beer. Well, he rotates his grip to where now he's holding it, like, upside down, but, like, down by his waist. And I just went, Skylar, Skylar, to my brother. I was like, Skylar. And we're trying to, like, fight through this fucking throng of just sweaty. Every dude you brush by, their fucking hard on is just rubbing up on you through their fucking jeans and shit. You're like, ah, there's so much sweat and hard-ons. Ah, there's so much Axe body spray and glitter. There's a lot of glitter back then when I was a bouncer. So it's just horrendous, right? It was a nightmare. But I saw him fucking change his grip on that bottle. And I just went, oh, fuck. And this dude, right as we were getting there, raised it up and fucking hit this lady right across the face, right? Holy shit. Boom. Her fucking nose explodes. Blood everywhere, right? So my brother and I just see red and we're like, we're going to beat this motherfucker up. So we reach through, right, and we finally grab him. We got him, and we're ready to deal like the fucking Griffey Brothers Legion of Doom. Like, whoop this dude's ass, right? Next thing you know, I got fucking hit hard in the back of the head by something. Fist, bottle, whatever. I'm like, what the fuck? And we realized, instead of us beating this guy up, everyone is fucking pummeling us trying to get to this guy. Because everyone who saw it wanted a piece of this guy. So we went from we're going to fucking beat this guy up to run. So we're trying to like shield this guy with our body to get him out of this bar so he doesn't get fucking murdered by just, again, all those raging hard on dudes. (laughs) And it was like the weirdest experience of my life. Like the turnaround from I will kill this man to, oh, my God, we're all going to die in here was insane. And not again to do any more like fucking deviations, but that is the world Bregby lives in. Like that fucking yes. most traumatic moments of my bouncing career. That was his happy place, right? Like the yep. scene when he fucking stabs that dude in the face with the beer bottle. Oh my God. I audibly like, <gasps> like I fucking, I mean, it's yeah. so just simple and brutal makes Renton light his fucking cigarette for him. I mean, just like hatred and malice manifested 
and this charming and funny little man. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a fucking it's my favorite part of the movie by far is is uh, Bregby. Yeah, I mean, again, that unrelenting thing lands so well also like with the ending because again like because you have the like they're at the pub and you see like you know this sick boy and begby are scheming and you like and i think this is the part where like renton it's like the only time renton actually is like okay something is definitely wrong here like i'm about to get dicked over i'm about to like he's seeing finally like beyond addiction beyond any of this he's like something bad will happen if i continue to deal with people like if i continue to deal with my life the way that these guys are dealing with it well it's the first time he's the straight guy surrounded by desperate heroin addicts right exactly it's the first time he's having to actually deal with what this how about this alex dandino how about this (laughs) the fucking they're literally doing the fucking russian skag talk Right after we see Tommy's funeral, right after we see Tommy's purple fucking feet, they're already doing the fucking Russian skag deal. It always freaks me out that Tommy dies because of the cat. Let's not say because of the cat. Let's call a fucking, let's call a queen a queen. He fucking dies. It's a card player expression. It's a euchre expression, right? Call a queen a queen. You never did that? You don't play euchre? It's a Midwestern game. It's not, stop. Continue your point. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you impugn the euchre playing community? It's neither here nor there. We also milk each other when we're in the barn. It's like a big deal here. I Never, know what euchre is. Continue. It doesn't sound like it, you fucking poser. I don't know why you were even trying. I don't even know the point you're trying to make now. What I'm trying to say is. Well, now I'm thrown off. I don't remember what my fucking point is. I think you were trying to call me out saying that the cat No, what my point him. is, is it fucking Renton. Is a fucking murderer. True. Why did Renton never say, I took your fucking sex tape to jerk off? If he just told Tommy he took the fucking tape and gave the fucking tape back, Tommy does not die alone with that fucking kitten. True. Why did Renton never say, I took the tape? Because he's a bad person. I think we established by his that own the words, he's a pod. bad person. Yes, that's true. He, he is says a bad he's a bad person. person at the very last line of the movie. But I was like, I feel like instead of giving your friend twenty bucks to go get more drugs, I mean, I guess at that point, like, damage done. God, that reminds me of another bar story. But I won't deviate again. Instead of giving him the fucking twenty quid or pounds or whatever fucking currency that is, that pink money. Why not give him back the tape and say, change your life, man. Get back on track. What if he hands him the sex tape right there and Tommy's like, you fucking cock. And just fucking pulverizes him. Now he's like, I'm getting my bench back. I'm fucking playing footy again. You know what I mean? I do. It is just like, I honestly like the Tommy thing. Like whenever, the, when they come back to Tommy. Again, you know, we're, we're just so far removed from like, we're not far removed, but we're removed enough from the AIDS epidemic too, where it's just like, yeah, you forget how fucking horrible people were. Like, well, not only just fucking terrifying, it was so fast and and people didn't know and people didn't understand. Like, and it's like, it's so, it's just so horrific. Again, like Tommy, when they, the last time we see Tommy really is just so like, and then, yeah, the whole time you're like renting you fucking piece of shit. You piece of shit. And also just, I think that's another one. I mean, you'll never match the like crib scene on the scoreboard, but just watch. Of course it was Tommy who went downhill so fast. All his friends left him for London and now he got the sickness. Yeah. And it's just like, of course, man, that's how it, I mean, it always feels like the people who do the worst stuff get away with it. Yeah. And I think this movie dabbles in that a little, I mean, again, it's hard cause these are all sick people. Hmm. But I think that's one of the weird things I had to grapple with watching the movie is me as a guy who, thank God, I have a very addictive personality. But thankfully, I've been able to pull away from most of the bad stuff I do. Right. right? Like, I still do some things to excess infrequently. Right. But for the most part, I got out okay. It's hard for me as a viewer to watch this and not be super judgmental. Right. It's hard for me to watch this and not just be throwing stones like get your fucking shit together. Make better choices. 
But I actually think that's one of the things I appreciated more this time is that I felt like an addict watching this movie, right? That uncontrollable pull where you're like, you know that these guys are going to keep making the bad choice. You know it's coming. You know it's looming. And I was like, my God, that's exactly what it feels like when you're in the fucking Tumblr. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. I think this movie works just almost across the board. I mean, it's just really stunning how much they accomplish in this movie. Let me ask you this. Why steal the money at the end? Besides, he says he's a bad guy. He says he's going to, like, lead a better life. Looks like he might be heading to another country with the 16 grand. Right. 12. Why not just take he gives four, four and He gives four to Spud. Spud yeah, never why not just any- take your four and Spud walk? Spud never hurt anyone. Spud never hurt anyone. Why not just what? Why not just take it? Like, it's such a big risk. Because you're an addict, man. I'll tell you this. I never wanted for any reason to watch the sequel to this, but after watching this today, I'm fucking really interested. Like, what do those characters look like in their it. 40s? Again, like, it's a really fascinating... It's I, I like I liked it, but that's because if you like train spotting, it will work for you. I, f- I fucking adore Danny Boyle. I love Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle's made so some of my favorite I'll probably movies watch in the 20th it. century. Yes. Yeah, and it's just... Why take that fucking money, though, right? Because, honestly, this is another thing that made me mad. And, again, you have to try to not just be a judgmental douche on these sick men. But it's one of those things I was like, this motherfucker's spitting in our face. He's smiling to our face and stabbing our backs, right? When he's like, I'm going to be just like you with the TV and the fucking Subaru and the kids and the insurance. And I'm like, that sounds like you're not happy about it. That sounds like you're not coming here to our green pasture to be one of us. It sounds like you're bringing a dirt bike to churn up my yard, right? Like it, it seems like you're a rabble rouser. <laughs> you're the Bam Margera of our normal neighborhood, right? I think it's, I think the reason he steals the money at the end is just because he can, because it's his last act of defiance before he goes straight. I don't think he ever goes. Straight. Well, I mean, at I least he thinks he, he thinks he'll go straight. Watch what you should I, watch train spotting too. I do want to watch it now. I really do. And I never did before. I think again, I think, I think what this does, is it puts you in the mindset of addiction. It does show you the, the highs and the low, the low lows, the fucking lowest of the yeah. lows. And it, it just makes you uncomfortable. But I, I think the thing that keeps you in this movie, right? Cause it feels like the movie that a lot of people will turn off. The thing that kept me engaged is there is so much heart and empathy I find with these sick men, right? Mm-hmm. Even Renton, who it feels like is constantly spitting in my face the entire fucking movie, I still desperately want him to get better. I want him to do better by himself and for his health. And I, I think to make a movie this heavy that has the kind of things we see in it and still think of it as mostly a... I mean, the comedy is what comes to my mind first when I think back on this movie. Same. I think it's pretty pretty remarkable, honestly. It's I mean, it's just it's a work of art, man. It's a 90 it's uh it's just a it's a perfect encapsulation of the 90s. It's Danny Boyle's landmark movie. Like obviously Shallow Grave was his first movie, but like this is the one that like Slumdog is his landmark movie. This is the one that broke him out is what I'm saying. That's true. Um, oddly enough, oddly enough, there's a lot of, uh, as Danny Boyle has said in many interviews, a lot of DNA of Clockwork Orange in this yes. film. They definitely have a milk bar throwback in that. Indeed. Sure. It's just but a yeah. wonderful movie, man. Like, honestly, no, it's, I, I think it does this wonderful thing. Yeah. Where it takes one of the hardest things for us to confront and deal with. Like we see this all across the world now, right? Like, there's a lot of these addictions to pharmaceutical products and this and that, and no one wants to talk about it, acknowledge the just, you know, mountains of bodies and tragedy that have been left behind by these problems. It's just easier to go those people. And again, I think that's something we all deal with is don't be judgmental. Try to understand and, you know, fix it. But that's fucking hard. That takes a lot out of a person, man. And I think a movie like this, they can help put you in that headspace. And even if you're uncomfortable and yelling at them, but then you have to confront, you know, what would you do if this was someone you knew and loved, right? Which sadly a lot of people have had to do in real life. 
right. it's easier through the cinema. So um, I I just I think it's a wonderful film, man. I think it's a really powerful, wonderful film. I do too. Agreed. That's it, Jason. Jason, Keen. nice. Thank you so much, man, for all you do for us. Thank you, Sandy Keen, for making Jason Keen. Uh, thank you to all of you who <laughs> listen. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, good job. Good job on that. You nailed it, Sandy. Thank you to all of you that listen and support, guys, however you do, right? Thank you to those of you who are with us on patreon.com slash Pod. Thank you to those of us that are on YouTube. That's Alchemist. Thank you to those of us that leave us rating and reviews wherever you find the show. Thank you, guys, uh, for all of you that just show up and listen, man. Tweet about us, whatever. We love you. It all means the world to us. We get really nice emails, guys. That means the world to us. This has been easily the best year of podcasting for us. And we've been doing this for a long fucking time. This has been wonderful. And it's all because you guys are just the best people we could ever hope to meet on this long odyssey. It, It really... It really has been a spectacular year, all because you guys. We choose life for the pod specifically. We choose life. You guys are so cool. Life, life. Are we going to do bad accents to throw out the year? We choose life. <laughs> Doing terrible accents to end the year would be very on brand. I mean, I think that's what we're doing. Good Lord. All right. Put a pin in it. Uh, for the film Alchemist for 2021, man, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Tantino. <laughs> Bye, guys. We'll see you next year. Alex Tantino's here.